When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 25th, the Here's Steve Instead of Carvel edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the dad of Eliza, age six, and Leo, who's almost three. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am the mom of Henry, who's almost 16, Teddy, who is 14, and I have a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 16. Carvel Wallace is sick and couldn't make it to the studio today, so we have a pinch hitter from the very highest ranks of Slate podcasting. <laughs> yes, I have come down from my executive suite to uh, <laughs> to grace the microphone with my presence. Uh, I am Steve Lichtai. I am the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and I am the dad of Hank 6 and Gus 3. Steve is going to help us tackle some thorny questions from listeners today, including uh, empathy, how young is too young, and uh, what to do about a dominant older sibling. But first, we've got triumphs and fails. Steve, would you like to go first? Do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? I have a triumph. We did something recently um, that I thought we would never do as a family. Um, we started to uh, order one of those meal kits. It, it's so good and very, very <laughs> delicious, and I'm so happy with it. They are the best, But those meal kits. Oh, my God. This has been such a, a, a – a revelation, but the, the what what came out of that, other than having these delicious uh, dinners that had actually been fun to to do, is it has helped our um, incredibly picky six year old um, learn to eat better, and he has taken such great interest in food in a way that he never has before. I mean, he would live off toast if we allowed him to, which we did for a period of time, and we have started to cook with him. And there's something about those meal kits that really appeal to his personality, which is um, one of great order and uh, following instructions, which is something he really loves to do because he puts together Legos and he likes to do the steps. And this has the similar sort of step one, step two. And something about that process, being with us in the kitchen, making the meal, 
following the instructions, doing the prep, and then seeing it come out at the end in this beautiful way. And actually, this meal kit, I know I'm like, I should just marry this meal kit. I'm obviously in love with it. They're so beautifully presented at the end. It's so all, all these different colors of the rainbow on your plate that it has opened up his uh, eating world. And he is now eating things that he never ate, you know, six weeks ago, a month ago. Um and it's just been fascinating to watch. And I never thought this would be the case. And we, we did it selfishly for ourselves. It was just a thing that my wife and I were like, gosh, we should like cook more. We should eat a little bit better. And the residual knockoff effect on this has been the fact that Hank is now eating a, a lot better than he ever has before. And I, I think it has to do with these meal kits. Can I ask one question about the meal kit without identifying the meal kit, which obviously would get us into a, a tricky situation? Is this a meal kit that's like targeted at parents and kids, or is this adult food that he has started to eat? This is adult food. Yep. Um, which shocked me, but there's something about, I swear it's because of his involvement in the making of it that is, and we've done this before. So here's the, here's the trick. I can't figure this out. We've involved him before and he's been like, no thanks. And I'm thinking, gosh, maybe our food that we, we cooked that we bought at the store and cooked just wasn't any good or looked <laughs> sad or whatever. And this is spectacular and beautiful and all pre-portioned and lovely. And he somehow bought into that in a way that he didn't with our food. I bet it's the pre-portioning. I bet the fact that the ingredients are put into little packages makes it somehow real and official because it's obviously part of an actual product rather than just like this is just a vegetable. Like you cut yeah. that yourself. That can't be yeah, food. Good point. That can't be yeah, good. Yeah, I'll tell you what's – this is the thing. I've had exactly the same experience with my older kids who were always pretty adventurous eaters but will literally eat anything sent by our meal kit brand of choice. We are up to like two boxes a week um, of this meal kit of choice for this exact reason, because they will they will literally love eating, not just eat, but enjoy eating, sit down like it's an occasion to eat anything that comes from this particular meal kit. And when you do involve them, what's cool is it's like a cooking show. You can set up little bowls and like chop your ingredients and put them in the little bowls. It's And it, that's a fun, definitely a fun way to do it that you don't, you don't do it that way when you're just making the stuff that you usually make. So I'm down with that. And I, I also endorse the meal kit for family eating uh, lifestyle. All right. Rebecca, what have you got? Well, you probably remember that a few weeks ago during the, um, Sandwich Generation Deathbed Edition of the show, I talked about how I was having this dilemma around how much to sort of involve my teenage kids in the process of my stepdad dying in terms of, you know, bringing them over there to visit and how I was dealing with scheduling stuff and all the weird uh, logistics that come up. Um, well, the day that episode came out actually was the day my stepdad passed away. And by the way, I just really want to thank all of the wonderful listeners of this podcast who sought my email out, sent me really nice notes about that and about how they were in similar situations and also on the Facebook page, the mom and dad are fighting Facebook page. Anyway, listening to that episode back was really, really helpful that particular day. But uh, flash forward to just this weekend, we finally had my stepdad George's funeral um, in large part because of a lot of those logistical things I was talking about that we had had uh, family members had vacations planned and there were all sorts of, you know, weird logistical things and it just worked out to wait a few weeks. 
And my younger son, Teddy, had said that he wanted to say something at the funeral. This was um, a lovely, lovely funeral in the church in Bennington, Vermont, where Robert Frost is buried in a 1700s kind of uh, atmosphere. It was really beautiful. People got up to speak. And my 14-year-old, who let's just say doesn't have, you know, a stellar reputation for sentimentality. He's a little bit more of a a jokester. He's like, you know, he's the kid who's just very wry and uh, will, you know, say the inappropriate thing if given the opportunity. He got up to speak second uh, after my uncle, who's sort of the patriarch of our family. And he told this incredibly moving story about finding out that George had died and going to school the next day and having this breakdown in school going to talk to the school counselor and telling her that he really regretted not knowing more about George because he hadn't really talked to him enough. And she asked him to talk about George, which apparently he then did for an hour, talking about all the things he had done with George, all the things that he knew and had experienced. And the school counselor said to him, it sounds like you actually did know George really, really well. And he told that story. And he was the only one of the dozen or so of us that got up to speak that told a story about death and about grieving And it was such a beautiful and genuine and from the heart thing for him to do. And it it felt like I think people expect when a kid says they want to get up to speak that they're going to say the thing they think they're supposed to say, that sort of, you know, precocious kid sort of thing that they do where they're scripted and they get up and sort of do an impression of an adult. But he spoke like a 14-year-old, genuinely grieving, and talked about his experience. And it was so moving and so beautiful, and I was so, so, so proud of him. And as I told him later, people will be talking about this for years to come. Not only did you do something amazing, but you also really kind of changed your brand in the family in a way that is, like, incredibly positive and wonderful and um, really, I think, people are looking at him with new eyes. I know I am, and I was just really, really proud. So. It was great. Yeah, that is great. Um, Again, condolences on uh, George's death. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, I have a triumph too. This is a three triumphs episode. We should have a special sort of three chimes sound effect. We shouldn't (laughs) really have that. Uh, Ben Frisch, our producer, just looked up at me as if to say, really, should we have that? No, we shouldn't have that. uh, I have a triumph. Um, The triumph is I have finally, after sort of, Trying to do this, like, basically for four years since Eliza was was two, I have locked into a series of made-up stories that I can extend and that both of the children are interested in. Um, like, I remember my parents telling me, like, made-up stories and there being recurring characters and that being a thing that I would really like. And I would – I have been trying to do this and I, I haven't until recently – um, found the correct characters or milieu that um, is able to sustain the interests of both a two-year-old and a six-year-old and, I, I got to say, a middle-aged man. Um, but I, on the bus rides to school lately, uh, we stumbled onto the characters of um, King Graham and King Roger. They're two uh, kings who are married to one another. Um, king Roger is a bit of a sort of dictatorial, um, grumpy, strict king. And King Graham is a friendly, lovable, and slightly camp king. Although I don't know that the kids recognize the camp sensibility. Um, but basically now I can do anything with these two kings. One of them's happy. One of them's sad. One of them is like when he meets the kids, will give them jelly beans. And the other one will like take them off to the dungeon. But then King Graham will come and knock on the door and let them out of the dungeon and give them jelly beans. You can really, I can 
you can make up riffs about the two kings like for an indefinite for as long as you are stuck in the car or on the bus um and uh they really like it you can bring in whatever i bring in whatever tropes from um everyday life like uh one of the kings likes one kind of milk and the other one likes a different kind of milk which just happens to be the kinds of milk that their mother and i both like um so i am feeling pretty good about that they ask for these stories on the bus now um and i am able to like reward them for good behavior with like five more minutes on king graham and king roger gabe yo i'm sorry i i i you're you're the dad that i hate and worship at the same time (laughs) i'm so glad you said that so i don't have to I want to be that dad. I've always wanted to be able to be the dad who makes up stories and tells these sort of intricate plots and has these recurring characters. And and I can never – I get maybe a minute and a half, two minutes into something and then I start to, you know, flounder for the next plot point. You know what was the breakthrough for me? The, the breakthrough was exactly like I was that floundering guy too and then what I realized was – all you need to do is give the kids some measure of wish fulfillment. Like I put the kids in the story and then King Graham gives them like a giant marshmallow that's like a trampoline that they can bounce on. And this is the greatest story of all time. They're like jumping <laughs> on a giant marshmallow. That's, that's all it is. And it doesn't I, – I, before I was stuck on like sp- exactly the mechanics of the plot and how do you like advance things in a way that obeys the rules of linear cause and effect and also like preserves the, the integrity. Integrity of of all of the characters involved. No, bring out the giant marshmallow. Everybody's happy. <laughs> are you That's Graham the, or are you Roger? It. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. Are you Graham or are you Rogers? It sounds like this is well, like a, a family. It's sort of an allegory for your family, right? I, I'm yes, although in a way I I have both King Graham and King Roger within me. You know what I mean? <laughs> King Graham is who we want to be, and King Roger is who we are, or whatever. Huh. Goofus and gallant, in other words. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think most parents have that relationship with their kids where there's some version of you that's like split in two. Like there's angry dad and there's like friendly, funny dad. Um, and most of the time, hopefully I'm friendly, funny dad, but like, I know they've seen angry dad sometimes. And like, I don't, I'm not thrilled about that, but they're definitely familiar with the King Roger side of me. (laughs) Um, so, so that's how that story works. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We will get to your questions in just a minute, um, but first, a couple of announcements. If you're not yet a Slate Plus member, now is the time to sign up for Slate Plus. You can get Plus for 90 days absolutely free in the Slate iOS app. Visit slate.com slash app to download it. It's the best way to hear ad-free Slate Plus podcasts, bonus segments, Slate Academies, and more. 90 days of Slate Plus for free at slate.com slash app. And secondly... Let us know what you think of the show and uh, help us out with our various problems and errors. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Lots of your fellow listeners are already there complaining or praising us for our various right or wrong opinions. You should join them. All right, let's get to questions. Um, remember, if you have a parenting question that you would like us to tackle, call it into our voicemail 424-255-7833. Here's a question from Sentley, who is the mother of a two-year-old. 
Hi, my name is Sentley, and I'm calling for Mom and Dad Are Fighting. I am trying to raise my two-year-old to be very empathetic, um, so so he knows that his actions affect other people. That's kind of like our form of discipline. When he does something crappy, which two-year-olds do, we kind of show him like, hey, that hurt that person's feelings, or do you like that when someone does that to you? At the same time, I'm reading and kind of dealing with codependency issues I have. And in the books that I'm reading, the help that I'm getting, it stresses that we are the only people responsible for our feelings. And even though we have a responsibility to be considerate to people, ultimately, people are responsible for their own feelings. So the question to me is, I'm going, or to you, is I'm going a little crazy because sometimes I'll tell my two-year-old, because he's two, Hey, do you see that? That made so-and-so sad when you did this. Oh, when you hurt them, that made them feel like you didn't like them or that was bad. I thought I was doing the right thing, but now I'm thinking I may be creating a codependent adult in the future who feels like their responsibility is to make everyone feel good. And if someone's having a crappy time, it's because of them. I just was wondering if there's any advice, if there's any experts out there, that can help teach me how to teach my child to be empathetic and considerate, but also not stress the point that his job is to make everyone feel good. Okay, thank you. Rebecca, you want to take first crack at this? Sure. Well, the one thing I would say to this mother, who's I think quandary is a um, a good one, it's a good one to sort of contemplate, is there is this concept uh um, philosophical and psychological concept known as theory of mind, which means that, you know, it takes time for uh, babies basically to understand that the people around them are also whole people with their own minds and their own lives and have a whole story. Now, there's a lot of research that shows that this is tied to language development and so forth. Um, however, Personally, I remember it being like maybe junior high school age that I actually clicked for me that I realized that, you know, the other kids in my class also had like full parents and, you know, full sets of parents and lives and, and the same sort of angst that I did. And they had their own sort of swirling emotions and, and reacted to things, you know, similarly to the way that I did. So I wouldn't worry so much about a two year old who doesn't seem to understand that the things he's doing uh, might be hurting someone else's feelings in terms of him not having empathy, because I do think that that comes later. And I think that it develops as people sort of begin to understand that other people are whole people. And, you know, it's you have to sort of separate like the basic behavior stuff, the be nice, treat other people the way you want to be treated from worrying about empathy, which is a really sophisticated emotion. Um, and as far as the, the codependent stuff, again, I just think it's a little bit early to worry too much about that. If you live your life as if you want people to think you're a nice person who's nice to other people, that's about, I think, as complicated as it can get with a kid that age. And these other concepts are just I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really worry about them right now. I just, it just seems a little bit early to me to, to put that kind of baggage around this particular quandary. Yeah, I totally agree. A two year old cannot do empathy. 
Like, I think that's just, um, physiological, like whatever it takes to, to have a concept of someone else as a, uh, having interiority and feelings and consciousness, like a two-year-old is not going to do that. Um, and it's, it, I think it's a lovely way to raise one's children to understand how other people are feeling, but y- you can't do that yet. Uh, to what a two-year-old needs is like, there is a right way to behave and a wrong way to behave, and I expect you to behave the right way. And you don't have to be an asshole about that. You can teach them that there's a right way and a wrong way to behave in a completely compassionate and loving way. But um, the two-year-old needs to think – the two-year-old can only understand this when it's presented to them in terms of things that they, the two-year-old, is doing. Hitting is not allowed. We don't hit. You're not allowed to hit. Um Again, you don't have to shout about it. You don't have to like make them feel like you're furious at them for hitting. Um, but asking them to conceptualize the experience of the person being hit by them is just like asking them like a, a higher level math problem. They just can't do that kind of math. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, two year olds are all, they're all id, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing else going on there other than these crazy impulses existing side by side in their in their head and i think that it's really easy i know we did this with our six-year-old with hank we expected too much of him too early for things like that and we worried um he was a little bit of a he was a little bit of a hitter early on and we were like oh my god he's a psychopath he's (laughs) gonna be beating up kids left and right and now he's six years old and one of the most gentle kids that i i know and i think in those moments of his two and and into three he just um, was testing out uh, various uh, ways of acting and, and ways of moving his body. A lot of it was just physical body control stuff, and and now he's you know he he's doing great and he's a he's a really sweet kid. And I, I think I've read in the parent books I've read that empathy is something that it, it doesn't even come up in a kid's brain as being a concept until they're six or seven years old. Um, it's hard it's a hard thing to explain to a young a kid younger than that and. I'm starting to see it now in Hank. You know, he understands that making people feel bad is one thing and making them feel good is another thing. So I think she should um, – I know it's hard, but just kind of go with the flow and model good behavior. I think that's really important. Uh, they really do see you act a certain way or behave a certain way and kind of do look at that as a way of uh, a way of being. But two years old is, is, uh, is awfully young. I want to let okay so we all agree that a 2-year-old can't learn empathy. Let's let's take this one more step. What about if if Sentley is faced with this same problem when her kid is 11 or 12 at an age when you really can't expect empathy? What about the the bigger question of like is teaching a kid to be empathic is teaching a kid to oh you should respect the feelings of another person does that set the kid up for um, to be codependent, not to, uh, to be unable to assert themselves, to be always, um, I suppose, um, trying to make other people happy or worrying too much about other people's feelings all the time, um, in a way that's not healthy or realistic. I really think that the best opportunities to teach kids empathy, it does not lie in their own behavior toward others, but in others' behavior toward them. You know, I've found that as my kids got older, our real conversations around empathy and actually using the word empathy came from kids, you know, maybe bullying them or blocking them out or using, you know, language that, you know, they wouldn't use or, you know, taking their toys or and 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 being able to say to my kids, listen, you have to understand that 
you know, there's a reason why this kid may be acting out. There's a reason why this kid maybe just doesn't understand how to interact with other kids in a way that makes you feel good. And maybe you should think about what some of those reasons might be. Maybe you should reach out. Maybe you should have a conversation. And maybe he doesn't understand that it bothers you when you do X, Y, and Z. You understand it, but maybe he doesn't. So maybe it's a good opportunity for you to just find out if it's a question of understanding. That's, for me, where all of those really valuable lessons came into play. I do think I'm less worried about, and I'm I'm sorry if this comes off as like sexism or reverse sexism, I worry more about girls feeling like they have to make everybody happy and feel good and that other people's feelings, you know, are sort of dependent on what they do and, um, That, again, with my 16-year-old stepdaughter is a conversation that we started having when she was like a a preteen and that whole Mean Girls rift started happening. And um, there were opportunities there to say, hey, what can you do, you know, to make the situation better that doesn't change who you are as a person and understanding that you can't control everything uh, being such an important part of that. So it's complicated. I I. I don't think that I really don't think that that basic being nice to people, how would they feel being sympathetic for their situations is going to create codependency. I I think that that's rooted in other stuff. I really do. I was wondering if this was one of those situations where the caller has experienced this problem in her own life, like she finds herself in a codependent situation and she has trouble setting those kinds of boundaries. And so that becomes the focus of her worries about her kid. And in fact, the kid probably is going to have the kid's own set of problems that are completely different from the mom's. Yeah, I think that's true. I I think that I, I, I worry about, you know, pushing my own issues off onto my kids. I think. Um, I think my wife and I talk about that actually a lot of like, oh gosh, are they going to take on this thing that I do or worry about or my particular neuroses or whatever it might be? I'm curious, Rebecca, have you, have you noticed that in your, you know, your children are older. You've, you, have they, did they take on anything from you that you sort of. (laughs) <laughs> forth to them. Sure, sure they did. And, you know, they're in the situation, too, with divorced parents where I know that their dad and I both see the things that we sort of passed off to them um, it, for, for good and for bad, things that they worry about, things that they prioritize. Uh, my older son in particular, I think, uh, feels like he's got it all figured out. And in many, many ways he does. But you know what? That sort of sense of... um I know more than everyone else in the room and I'm, you know, that comes from both of us. I absolutely know that he's heard us talk, sort of talk through situations probably individually. And, and yeah, um, and, and it, it is, it's really something, but I will tell you though, it is amazing how when your kids have a social circle, how when your kids have their own experiences and if you, uh, I think we lean towards teaching them to be independent. And we did since from their pretty young age. I mean, independent, when I say independent, I mean, like, when Henry was 18 months and two years old and wanted a sandwich, like I would give him a couple of pieces of bread and some bologna and a knife and have him assemble it because I just sort of, you know, I was always very comfortable sort of teaching him just how to how to how to make his own way. Um, but even without, the, you know, quite that much, it is it is really amazing how they do develop their own their own issues <laughs> that are independent of yours right. also. So do the best you can. I mean, that's the overall advice, right? All right. Good luck, Sintley. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Our next question uh, is from Heather, uh, who has two boys, and she's having some trouble with the relationship between them. This is Heather. I wonder how to help my boys who are six and eight years old have a more balanced relationship. The older one is a control freak and wants to dominate the younger one while they're playing. The younger one, while pretty easygoing, is not a pushover. So there is a lot of conflict in our house. Thanks so much. Bye. Steve, what would you do? I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, two boys. Hank is a very precise uh, kid. I think it's a, a sort of typical firstborn trait from what I'm hearing from other parents um, of, of two children. He, he, he is a little bit controlling in that he wants things done a certain way. Um, Gus is more freewheeling, um, kind of just doing his own thing, but like wants to always be around Hank. Uh, he's sort of a shadow right now and it really annoys Hank. And he, and he, but he also is very strong willed, much like, um, the, the caller's kids, you know, the, the younger kid is, is more relaxed, but still has an opinion. So there are fights that happen, uh, between the two of them. And they're not severe, but there are moments, especially when I'm home alone with them, uh, where I just, they're, and they're in another room. I cut, sort of could just count to like, you know, 90 seconds before I hear a scream come from the other room. And it's usually because Hank has taken something away from Gus or told Gus he can't play with this or Gus can't stand there or Gus can't do that. And this is just a cycle that goes on and on. And at this point in time, I'm being very relaxed about it. I just come over and say, Hey guys, come on. Let's try this. Why don't you guys try this? Try that. Very like general, uh, kind of refereeing of the situation. They've not gotten to the, they have not yet gotten to a point where they're physically harming one another or becoming sort of emotionally vicious with one another, which I worry about happening, uh, down the, down the road. And I, I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'll do when it gets to that point. Like I don't know. Uh, how to reason with those sorts of behaviors because I've never been confronted with those kinds of behaviors before of like really hardcore disagreement or, or loathing or whatever it might be for your sibling. So I, I kind of sit in fear of those days that are coming. I wish I could be more helpful about this problem, but I don't know what I'm going to do to help them find a common ground other than just being a negotiating type parent and try to figure out ways to make them happy. I would be curious, Rebecca, with your older kids, have you had this problem and have you figured out uh, any solutions or are they always gotten along? Well, Please give me the answers, <laughs> would you? Um, well, putting one of them out for adoption is always a, a reasonable solution, I think. No, obviously that's <laughs> not check. a reasonable solution. Um, but this is what she's describing, what you described. I don't think anybody with uh, same-sex kids that are relatively close in age has not experienced this at some point. And if they have, bully for you if you're listening right now and you have uh, boys that are, you know, between 
one and three years apart, and this is not exactly what the dynamic looks like. To some extent, this is still what the dynamic looks like between my kids, although it manifests itself uh, more passive aggressively than aggressively. But I've always described their relationship since they were babies as a love-kill relationship. Um, they can be very tight. My younger son does and always has been really attracted to hanging out with Henry and his friends and doing the stuff he's doing. And my older son was very controlling, very precise when he was little, liked things to be just so. Um, and now that they're older, more mature, they hang out together. It's more judgment, just sort of about the way the way that Teddy is and the way that he lives his life and the choices he makes and the fact that he can't do his homework. And it's sort of more, you know, like I said, passive aggressive. But I always focused on the behavior rather than the situation because the situation, I just felt like it was metabolic or something. It was There was very little I could do to control who you are, but we can talk about the behavior, the it's okay to say that your brother shouldn't do something this way or this way or this way. And it's okay for the little kid to be frustrated and angry and have another opinion. It's not okay to throw each other on the ground and punch each other on the face. So, which by the way, you probably may have coming in your future, Steve, but if you don't, good for you. Maybe that means that the laid back approach was the right approach after all. Well, Gus is, is, Bigger than Hank? Gus is three. He weighs – well, he weighs one pound less than Hank, oh my God. which is amazing. <laughs> it's all those meal kits. And, oh, my God. Exactly. And, you know, Gus, we play a game with Gus of what won't Gus eat and <laughs> apparently uh, nothing. Like he'll, he eats everything. Butter. Uh, so uh, butter. Oh, my God. I love butter. I love sushi. <laughs> but I, I do worry. Um, but I think too – I just want to say that I think that the mom in this call, it's hard to know how bad the behavior you know is. I mean in her eyes, it's bad because these are her kids or she feels that it's getting bad. But it may be just incredibly normal behavior. Uh, and that's what I'm sort of th- feeling about with, with Hank and Gus, which is seems very minor to me. It's just more of an annoyance than anything. Um, but I, I guess I'm wondering what it'll be like. Yeah. When Hank's, Hank's nine and Gus is six and how will that sort of play out? The one concrete thing that I sort of wonder about Heather's situation is I think quite often when there are two kids of the same gender and they're close in age, then they wind up doing a bunch of the same stuff and they have a lot of the same interests. And it's just very easy because they fit into the same categories to like sign them up for all the same stuff. And then you're setting up a kind of constant competitive or rivalrous dynamic, which is already obviously there in every sibling relationship anyway. Um and if she hasn't tried this already, it might be worth thinking about like here's a thing that the older kid does without the younger kid. Here's a thing that's just the younger kid's thing and that the younger kid really gets to shine at because the older kid doesn't care about it anyway. And sort of give them their own little spheres as much as you can, not because then you can just keep them apart from one another 100% of the time because obviously you're still in the same house, but because then they get to like be themselves and express themselves and be visible not against the background of this other sibling, which is just super annoying to constantly have this other guy in the frame there with you. That's um, really good advice. Yeah. If yeah. she hasn't tried that, I would give that a go. Um, I have, uh, you know, my kids are, are different genders and a little bit further apart and we haven't really had this exact problem. But I have a younger brother who is a couple years younger than me. And one thing that really helped is he is so good at sports and I always just sucked at sports. <laughs> and like there was no competition because he could always run faster and throw further than me. And I was off doing other stuff. And like, I think that was very helpful for us. It's time for recommendations. Uh, Steve, do you have a parenting recommendation for us? 
I do. Um, we have been reading, this is a, a book recommendation. Uh, it's the Cynthia Ryland, uh, Lighthouse, uh, series. Um, they are just a little, little delightful nuggets of story. They, um, they're about a, uh, a, a cat named Pandora who lives in a lighthouse. And in the first book, I think there's seven books in the series. In the first book, uh, a, a dog named Seabold is shipwrecked and, in time comes to just decide to stay with uh Pandora at the lighthouse and live with her there. And then I think in book two, maybe they adopt this little mouse, these mouse children who become part of their family. And then they all have little adventures and they save, they save a whale and they save an octopus and a sea otter. And there's all these different little things that they do. And it's so, it's a great, series of stories about a family that's not a nuclear family. It shows that you can have a family is sort of what you make it and that these people came together, these disparate lives and, and, and disparate species <laughs> came together to be a family. Uh, and it's just so beautifully and simply written, but there's a lot of sort of subtext to each, each tale. And, uh, the other good thing about it from a parenting perspective is that the chapters are short. <laughs> and the books, are, the books are slim too, but you can just say, okay, we're reading two chapters tonight. And then, you know, boom, boom, they're done. That's cute. And you can, yeah, exactly. And, and that's been very helpful. And Hank, you know, he's six and he really, he was really into them. And they're just a lovely series of books and you could plow through the whole set in, you know, maybe a couple of weeks and you really could sit down and read one whole book in one sitting if you wanted to. But they are great and I love them. It's Cynthia Ryland, uh, the Lighthouse series. I highly recommend them. Sounds good. Rebecca? Well, I've got a recommendation for parents of younger kids. Um, there's been a, I've gotten a little bit of feedback and asking people asking me questions about, you know, enough with all this teenage stuff. What did you do with your kids when they were little that maybe I don't know about because your kids were little a long time ago? Thanks for reminding me, guys. I am a little bit old. But um, I went back and looked in the old DVD drawer of your uh, at my house and was looking through and I dug out what I think is the greatest the greatest movie for kids made in the last, I don't know, 20 years. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Not the greatest movie like cinematic, but like the greatest direct-to-DVD movie for kids. And it actually first came out on VHS, and I know that because I had it, but now I have it on DVD, and it is still available. I looked it up. Um, I think I may have mentioned that I was a huge fan of Blue's Clues when my kids were young, and they were huge fans of Blue's Clues. There is a wonderful movie, direct-to-DVD, direct-to-VHS movie on Blue's Clues called Blue's Big Musical Movie, and it is fan-freaking-tastic. If you have the kind of kid who loves music, who loves dry uh, slightly wry humor, uh, if you have the kind of kid who doesn't love that, both kinds of kids will love this movie. It's tolerable to watch, tolerable to watch if you're an adult. It is about, uh, Steve, who, as you know, is a, a real life person. And then all of these cartoon characters deciding to put on a show in the backyard. And it's very much in the vein of those old Hollywood musicals about putting on a show. Ray Charles is in it, playing a character called G Clef and one of the final performances of his life, actually. Um, and it is just, indescribably complex and good in a way that little kids will want to watch it over and over and over again. And you won't mind that they do because it's fun to listen to, say, if you're in the front seat and you have one of those like backseat DVD players on long trips, if you're cooking dinner and you put something on so that, you know, keep the kids happy. 
blues big musical movie. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Well, while you were talking, I was getting like a glimpse of my own future, which is I will be watching this movie 150 times. You're, you're going to like, like it. I'm already, I'm already annoyed with this movie because I've seen it so I many times and I had never you, heard of it like before it. you just brought it up. Um, all right. I have a recommendation, which is a solution to a very specific problem that I have been having, but I think it's a problem that some other parents and maybe some of our listeners will have been having too. I have two kids. The younger one is still little and wants me to like pick him up and flip him up in the air and throw him all around. The older one would also like me to do that, but I can't because she's like five foot ten or something like that. It's ridiculous how tall she is. So, and, and I am not like a super strong guy and I have kind of a bad back. And so I will be playing with Leo and I'll like pick him up and I'll flip him upside down and he'll be like, do that again, do that again. And then Eliza will be like, do it to me, do it to me. And I used to do it to her all the time and now I can't do it to her anymore. And it's, tragic obviously because the passage of time etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's also like it just sets up this horrible rivalrous envious envious dynamic between the two of them around me doing this fun thing with them so and so i had tried like oh i can like you can sit on my lap and i can jiggle you up and down or whatever but she doesn't who cares about that when her brother is like literally like spinning through the air like a circus acrobat so the solution that I have come up with recently is you pick up the littler kid. He wraps his legs around your waist. You hold on to him by his wrists or his arms, and then you use his head to, like, bonk the older kid in the stomach. And you chase her around <laughs> using the littler kid as a kind of hammer or a weapon or, like, a bonker. And both of the kids um, get to really enjoy this. But you are only lifting the smaller, lighter, more manageable kid. So that is my solution to how to do some roughhousing with kids of very different sizes without throwing out your back. Um, and that is my parenting recommendation. Gabe, couldn't you just outsource that roughhousing <laughs> to your more athletic younger brother? I, if he is over, then <laughs> he definitely will pick her up and throw her around. And that just makes it worse because then it's like, how come Uncle Zach can flip me around and you can't flip me around anymore? Well, um, you could just tell one of your stories. You know, that's your thing, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Guys, guys, what, what about King Graham and King Roger? No, they, <laughs> we're not in the mood for King Graham and King Roger, Dad. No, I want to go upside down like five times now. Um, so – use the smaller kid as an implement to bonk the larger kid. That is my parenting recommendation. And that's our show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. If you have a question you would like us to tackle, call 424-255-7833. Thanks so much to Steve Lichtai for joining us today. Carvel Wallace will be back next week. So will Rebecca Lavoie and me, Gabriel Roth. Thanks for listening. We're having a show out in the backyard. All the friends will join along. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.